slum, 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 gullion, slum, gullion, we've got season two, slum, gullion, Jeff and Scott still host us, slum, gullion, I still don't know what that word means, do, 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 do. Slumgullion, we still got some guests on the Slumgullion, we're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion, should probably fade on the Slumgullion, Slumgullion. Hey there, hi there, ho there, friends and relatives, you are listening to not the third season premiere of the Slumgullion, America's only podcast, that doesn't have its own Patreon page. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. How are you, Scott? I'm poor. We need to have a Patreon page. No. All right. Thank you. I know how you feel. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome. Yes, yes, yes. We know I am, as I said on the Twitter, I am doing sound stuff. We are also working on behind-the-scenes stuff to make the third season premiere cool, but shit keeps on happening! So we keep doing these interim quickies, and we have got some great movie talk for you today. Later on, the new movie crew, that's right, Blanche, John, I almost said Blonde and Chance. (laughs) I love their surfed guitar, 60s Beach Boy-style pastiche, that was great. (laughs) <laughs> but John Blanche and Mrs. C join us to talk solo, the biggest Star Wars flop ever. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. It sucks, so fire Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> I'm going to vomit. If you saw it, I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't like it, I hope you're not being a dick about it. But we have a happier things to discuss. Scott and I have a new movie that we're going to be discussing uh, uh, in a minute. But first... I have a little something else that I wish to discuss. We have broached this topic occasionally here on the show. I know it's been mentioned a few times, but we really haven't gone into it or your involvement with it um, in detail. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Now then, for those of you who do not know or uh, or um, sort of looking maybe for a reason to spend 99 bucks on Amazon Prime, the entire television series of Babylon 5 is now available for viewership uh, on Amazon. For those of you who have seen Babylon 5, you know what this means. So uh, if you don't have it, either buy it or just drool for the people who, who, who do have it. I'm not going to buy it, so I'm going to feel bad, but it's out there. And here is the thing. Here is the thing. Um, I have said uh, many times that um, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica is the greatest piece of science fiction on television in the history of history, period. Well, I haven't, but somebody has. Before that, it was Babylon 5. Oh, agreed. It was. But anyway, like I said, the entire show is now available for the first time in years. And also, for those of you who do not know, it had a very um, unique production shall we say for one thing and this is one of the reasons why i personally love it so much at least three-fourths if not more of the every single script for this five-year series was written by one man yes one exhausted sallow hollow-eyed man who could barely answer a question or respond to outside stimuli and who was just sort of welded to his keyboard it was an interesting thing to see 
to understand how that feels. I may have mentioned this before on here. I may have not. But over the space of three years, there was not a single day that, uh, for, what, for an entire three-year period that I was not either rehearsing or performing something. I will never do that again. It was absolutely ridiculous, but I have one hell of a resume now, and um, it was kind of fun when it went on. But anyway, J. Michael Straczynski is the sallow, tired man in question, and he did something that really I don't think anyone else has done on the writing level goes for television. Can you think of anybody else who's done that level of mine, for lack of a better word? No, I mean, uh, not only that, but he had the whole thing planned out. He had a, he yes. literally, had, they'll, people will say, oh, we've got a five-year arc. They never do. They have maybe the first season, if you're lucky. And half the time they're just bullshitting and making it up as they go, like the dead on Lost, which is like the last show where they should have done that. But anyway, uh. he actually did have the whole thing planned out. And I believe he said once, I believe he said this, and you may you may uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that he had a moment of clarity when it came to this show. I could have sworn, I could be wrong, I could be wrong, but I could have sworn in an interview somewhere he said that this whole thing, his whole this whole five-year arc, I guess the broad strokes, hit him pretty much in one big moment of clarity. Ah, it's pretty amazing, though, that he pretty nearly pulled it off. Mm-hmm. He, given that there were some... Network shenanigans with the show. It was canceled. They said, oh, we're only going to give you four seasons. And so he started compressing everything. And then they moved to another network. They got one more season. And then they had to start stretching. So it wasn't quite the perfectly faceted jewel that he had in his mind. But it still came off pretty well. And it was, it was, a, it was an amazing achievement. And yeah, I can't think of anybody in the modern era who has written... Every single episode. Because I'm pretty sure it was like, I think, starting midway through season, if not, no, not all of season, I think midway through season two, through the end of season four, I think he wrote everything. There were some other writers, I think, at the beginning of season five for a couple of episodes. Yes. Yeah, there always because nobody believed he was going to be able to write. And I'm not even sure he, I don't think it was his intention. The impression I got, and I was just on the periphery of the show. The impression I got. Oh, by the way, real fast, real fast. Again, since you mentioned that, I was going to say, in case you don't know, the reason why I brought this up is because Scott was actually connected with the show when it aired. Scott, what did you do for the show? I I helped run the website for the show, the the station.com. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, my my impression was he was going to produce it. He was going to have veto power over the scripts, but I don't think he intended to write every single one. I don't think he wanted to do it because it was an insane amount of work. And I, I can't think of anybody who's written, created and written every episode of a show except maybe Gertrude Berg when she created the, the Goldbergs in the late 20s on radio. And he, of course, he continued through the not successful follow-up series, Crusade. Which oh uh, uh, the and uh I so wanted that to go on. I, I was that into that show. I, that I was so show. into that show. So was I. I mean, partly because it was a paycheck. I you know, <laughs> when when that when that show folded, that I got fired. But I, I liked it, and I liked I liked Gary Cole, and I liked uh, I liked all the actors. But those of them I met anyway. I well, how really can you not? To... How can you not like Gary Cole? I mean, Gary, he just seems everything about that man just exudes a coolness to me so far. Yeah, and I like the fact that they had some really awkward missteps with the uniforms, <laughs> and and they acknowledged it. 
So we got new uniforms. Oh, we look like bellboys. <laughs> but again, the big thing about B5 for me, for that, that I remember, I remember it was pretty much when the Shadow War began. Mm-hmm. Officially. I think it would, well, not even that. Midway through season two, when the whole thing with um, Babylon 5 rebelling against Earth. Mm-hmm. Yep, spoilers, deal with it. I fucking love this show. You were involved with the show. We never, we've never really actually had a decent conversation about it. We've talked about it off mic. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. And now that we've gotten on mic, he can stop complaining and we can talk about the show. Was I complaining? What was I complaining about? <laughs> no, Mike was complaining. Oh, okay. Um, Thanks for ruining the joke, Scott. I'm sorry. I was. I got distracted for a second. I was looking it up. Uh, <laughs> I was. Uh, I was horrified to realize I couldn't remember Sinclair's name. <laughs> you almost got spit take again, Scott. Well done. Oh, so, there we go. Jeffrey Sinclair. Sinclair. This is going to sound really bad, but it's true. Most of the stuff that Straczynski didn't like was the stuff that I liked the least. Like what? Just like most of the most of season one. Mm. Season one had a freshman season. The usual freshman season problems. Oh, no, very, very true. Very true. But I liked the look. And also I wanted to watch um, both that and Deep Space Nine because all of the different fanboys getting pissed off for varying reasons annoyed me. Mm. So I'm like, ha, huh, I'm going to watch both shows, Nanny Nanny Boo Boo. I never saw it as an either or thing, even though well, just, there was, there was, was a lot say, of, there was a lot. There was a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. And there was also. Um, well, no, I'm talking about from the fans. I'm not the fans. The, uh, the sci-fi geeks back in the day, there were so many yeah. people bitching back then. This is pre-internet, so not not what not like the Twitter sphere um, storms that you see today. But trust me, for way 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 back in the day, you know this was a big thing. Well, this brings up this brings up uh, an interesting question because people complain a lot about the Twitter sphere and how everything has to get argued over to death. But the thing about it is, in the days, the pre-internet, pre-Twitter days, arguments like this, you know, Babylon Five versus DS Nine could literally go on for years. I mean, yep. I, I could hear this crap. I mean, I stopped mentioning I ever had anything to do with the show because this, this would always come up. And I just oh, got so oh. sick of hearing it. Okay. Um, and well, sorry for ripping open the No, 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 no. It's fine. It's been years. It's been years. But the thing about it is, as annoying as I find Twitter and as, and as, uh, as ridiculous as Twitter fights are, they are, in a way kind of cleansing they are like a lancet in the pre-internet days fan fights would just be these separating wounds that would gangrify over a period of years with twitter they just lance that boil all the pus shoots out everybody gets spattered it's super gross but then it's over because they're on to something else they, that's a valid point you know okay so, <laughs> okay but that is true. But anyway, but anyway I mean, I just I, I decided that I was going to watch both shows. And um, I have to say, at the beginning, I did like Deep Space more. But then it was in in season two, midway through season two, when when Babylon 5 officially declared itself independent, my jaw started dropping. Mm-hmm. And pretty much from midway through season two to the end of season four was when I first experienced what I call the oh shit moment in TV. 
Babylon 5 introduced me to the oh shit moments. As a concept, right. Just as a concept, because from like that moment on, at least every episode of Babylon 5 for that entire length of time, I would say, oh shit. Yeah, I was about to say, how could you pick one? That's well, what I mean. I mean he, it, it was just a steady from that point on to the end of the show. I, I still remember Sheridan saying, now get the hell out of my galaxy. Yeah. That I, was just such a great way to. Oh, it still makes me giggle. I liked, you know, I liked DS9, but I did prefer Babylon 5 because I preferred the lore. It was, it was more original. It was more adult. DS9, in as much as it was dark for a Star Trek show, was still right. Star Trek. It still was preachy and it still was self-righteous and it still was a little juvenile. In ways, and 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 you would have, you know, as oh, someone look. who that is my favorite, that as as my favorite Star Trek show, I can't argue that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, and and Bashir's, uh, it likes to be a spy on the holiday. I mean, it's fine, but, but their their comic relief was is a little ham-fisted and childish. And they, frankly, I'm just going to say, Babylon Five just had, the exception of Avery Brooks, who was a terrific actor, and the exception of Bruce Boxleitner on Babylon Five, who was not a terrific actor. Babylon Five had a better cast. I will only throw one. I will throw one other actor on your list with Avery Brooks. Rene Auberjonois. No, actually, no. Okay. Andrew Robinson. Okay, you 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 can you can make a good argument for Andrew Robinson. Here's my problem with him. Okay. Andrew Robinson is absolutely a fearless ham, and part of me respects that. But if anybody leaned into a character whose eyes were bugged out the entire time because he had no eyelids. It's this guy. He was so hammy. It was super entertaining to watch. And he did, he hit a lot of different notes, but they were all hammy notes. So he's very talented. Okay, okay. all right, he's very all right, talented, all right. But, all right. sorry, vacuum packed in his own water, ready, drop ship to you in time for Easter. That's Andrew Robinson. I cannot argue that. I just, I just love Garrick. Oh, I do too. No, no, no. I, I know. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, but, but no, you do, you do have a point. But no, they definitely, um, Babylon Five definitely had the, 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 the better caliber of actor, which was actually the next thing that I was going to go into, which also ties into the brilliant writing of the, the, the mid season. Because you cannot, you absolutely cannot talk about Babylon Five without talking about the relationship between Jakar and Londo, played by Peter, Jura, uh, the late Andreas Katsulas. And is Peter Jurassic still alive, or is he gone too? I think he's still alive. Okay, okay, all right. But Peter Jurassic and the late and the late great Andreas Kostelos as Londo and Jakar may be the most complicated enemy relationship you will ever see on television. Yes, um, and it's amazing that so much came through that makeup because boy, did Katsulos hate that makeup. Oh, and really? Come to hate that character. He didn't like the character. He got really annoyed. He hated the makeup. He was completely unrecognizable behind it. And he got to the point where he didn't even want to sign pictures of Jakar. Aww. But it never showed on screen. It never showed in his performance. Aw, that's sad. Uh, Peter Jurassic is still alive. So okay, that's, good. that's happy. Okay. But no, the, the relationship between these two characters, that was also one of, like I said, especially me as a pseudo-amateur writer, just the scenes between those two as some of the best dialogue. I just, I, I drool at some of the scenes written with those two. And it, it happened at a time before the concept of the frenemy 
was really as prevalent in TV as it is now. A lot of that whole, you know, these people who hate each other and wind up becoming reluctant allies and then eventually becoming friends. A lot of that, I I think Babylon 5 influenced that. You see it a lot more on TV now. It's almost a cliche. And yet at the time, certainly wasn't anything I expected. I thought, oh, these guys are going to meet each other's throats the whole time. I guess that could be fun or it could get really irritating. Let's see where it goes. And the actors and Straczynski took it in a direction that you know you didn't really expect and paid off in a huge way. I mean, that's that's the value of thinking ahead, planning your stuff out. The other thing that I, I absolutely love about the show is uh, the characters at the end are definitely not the same people they are at the beginning. No, they're all broken. <laughs> It totally the the, the chain what these people go through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of like it, it. Most shows, then, well, we become stronger. No, they're all broken. They're just in pieces. It's sad. Oh, that final episode. Oh, Sleeping in Light. That was one of the ones that I watched recently, and yeah, that still gets to me. Oh yeah, it hasn't. I don't think it's lost any of its power. Not it, in any way, shape, or form. I, it is a brilliant piece of television. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to ever do. I mean, they've done they've done a lot of good science fiction since, but I don't think anyone's ever going to do a show that's going to have quite that emotional impact because one, it gets harder to reach those heights every time because it's been done before. It gets harder to do something new. It gets harder to match something that that was so astonishing, partly because it was new, but also because it was just such a an individual person's dream, one man's concept, and it's hard. Now, to steward a show like that, because one, scripts were late. And that's the one thing that cannot happen in TV, because TV is so schedule dependent. I mean, the same thing is true in motion pictures. You've you've got a, a whole crew of people, very expensive people in many cases, standing around. So time is money. You've got to be continually grinding those cameras. But the, the schedule is often more flexible. Things get pushed all the time. And it's like, oh, we're going to go in two weeks instead of tomorrow. Uh, in That's the difference between a, a, a shooting schedule of six weeks versus six months for a, a television series. If the scripts are late there, it affects everything. It's a, it's a 57 car pileup on the interstate you know, you know, that affects not only the people who are in the smashed vehicles themselves, but all the commuters piled up behind them and everyone who lives on the surface streets when people are taking an alternate route, thanks to Waze. Screw you, Waze. So... It's it's really important that the writers be on time. And when they're not, everything stops. Every, you know, the, the costume shop, location scouting, the, every department, every, everybody gets hung up by it. And our tours, so our tours are, I mean, this is something that happened a lot on, um, on uh, the West Wing. Because <laughs> Aaron Sorkin insisted on writing so many of the episodes. And networks and, and studios are, are very leery of anybody who's going to come in and have that kind of control. Also, TV, it used to be, I mean, they've always had writer's rooms, but they would, people would, you know, break stories and then they get off and set, and they still do. But back then, okay, you go off and you you and your partner, you write the script and come back in and then, you know, the EPs will go through it. Now, so much of TV, even not just the sitcoms, even dramas are room-written to, to an astonishing degree that you're never going to get one person's vision in that same way because it's going to get it's going to get diluted by the 12 people who are sitting in that room around the conference table it was a moment in tv that was it was reinventing the medium and that moment has passed and on that 
No, if again, if you have not seen the show, I do. I, I genuinely recommend getting Amazon Prime for this because it's a uh, it's five years. It's a it's a five years. The entire thing is on there. I don't know about the movies. I know I know the series is. I'm not sure about the films. They had a series of films as well that were also of varying degrees of coolness. But um, if you haven't seen the show, you really should check it out. It 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 deserves to be seen. If you're listening to this show, you're the kind of person who would enjoy that show. Yes, if and you don't know, if you don't know, and you're ta- listening to us, you want to watch it. I have something I need to bring up. Oh yes, sir. So you and I have failed the audience. We have we failed. failed. We failed the audience, and I don't mean we just disappointed them because I assume they're used to that by now. One would hope. But I was cleaning up the place, and I put on episode thirty-three. I sound like one of the nerds from Galaxy Quest now. Um, <laughs> of our the, of the of the slum going the one the one in which we tried to decide which fake Asian detective of the 1930s was the most racist. Ah, yes. Because it starts with us talking about Alien Covenant, and I was trying to remember because I I have expunged it from my my brain, and I was trying to remember did that annoy me enough that I should include it in the sequel to Better Living Through Bad Movies? It would mean sitting down and watching it again. So I listened to our conversation. To see just how enraged I was. And I wasn't actually that enraged. It sounds like it's going to be more boring than cathartic. But at the beginning of the show, you made a big, big announcement that I had completely forgotten. You said we were going to watch all the Star Wars movies in order from Phantom Menace on through, I guess, now The Last Jedi. Um, Holy shit, that's right. I I, remember that now. I don't know why we promised this. It's a great fanfare. I but think we, we oh I know why I know why, why? we were going to do I think we were going to do it as a build up to whatever Star Wars film was going to get released that year. That's probably it. But I'm pretty sure that's what I was thinking was hey let's watch all the saga films before the new one comes out man we can make a series out of it make it stretch it'll be cool man. <laughs> and then we promptly forgot about it. Exactly. Well on, on that on that show I said I don't know if Mary's going to be into that she probably won't watch the the prequels and you said oh that's fine she can just come in for the original trilogy i said no she cannot you don't just come in for dessert you don't show up at a dinner party and just wolf down the lady fingers but um when i brought this up to her she goes no i'll, I'll sit through it because because now she's enough time has gone by she forgot how much they hurt but she re- <laughs> but she remembers they hurt so she kind of wants to she would like to get on mike and and bitch about them because she's only ever had me to bitch to about them oh all right. It's 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 been a while. It's been a while since I've bitched. But yeah, I, that's a, I, I would be I would so totally be down for that still. Okay. Especially since I especially since I enjoy I don't care what anybody else says. I enjoyed solo. Spoiler. Not much of one. No. <laughs> Speaking of enjoyable things. Yes, yes. So we have a new movie. We have a new movie. We we're gonna talk Deadpool two. Even Deadpooler. I would have said Deadpoolier. But then that reminds Starring me of Clint that East. reminds me of Dave Coulier, and then I get depressed. Oh, oh, oh god! Now that reminds me of Alanis Morissette and the song, and then I've got that visual in my head. And ew. Yeah, exactly. I'll leave <laughs> but that has nothing to do with Ryan Reynolds. So, Scott, your impressions. I'm sorry, I don't do impressions. My training is in psychiatry. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed it. I I expected to, and I was not disappointed. And I was a little leery because, of course, they they changed directors. But right. it's as they said, 
Uh, the guy they got was uh, one of the dicks who killed a dog in John Wick. And uh, he was he was fine. Didn't have quite the same snap and style, but it was fine. Sequels rarely do. I mean, that, that tension and that energy when you really don't know what you're going to get. It, there, there's no substitute for that. And the second time, no matter what, there's a certain amount of expectations and, and, and a certain amount of, yeah, been there, done that. But they introduce a lot of new characters. Most of them are engaging. Um, <laughs> clearly, clearly, Domino has walked away uh, as the breakout character. And uh, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I was Domino. Uh, that was she was fun. <laughs> she was fun. She she had uh, just the right amount of laid back cool to deal with a frenetic character like Deadpool. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to say right off the bat. Oh, was I mad fairly early on? And we're getting into spoiler territory here. I was so mad early, very early on when Morena got killed. Oh yeah. So was I. And, and that, that almost pissed me off to the point where it almost took me out of the movie. Like really, really? And they knew it would because the, the credit sequence this time it was a callback to the, the joke credits of the first one. And except this time it's like, hey, what the fuck just happened film in association with did they just kill her <laughs> starring some asshole who doesn't want to share the spotlight. Apparently we can get into that in more detail later because I want to. But what really pissed me off even more was I go to see that and I come home and watch the season finale of Gotham and she gets fucking stabbed in the season finale of Gotham and it looks like she dies. All I can say to her is congratulations. Twice in the same week. This is no fair. Hey, if she's getting off Gotham, that's that's good. for Hey, come on. They're getting their final season. I love that show. Leave me alone. All right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think it is the best the best TV adaptation of an Elseworlds concept that they've done. And the competition is fierce for that title, boy. Well, again, if I... Actually, so many comic book adaptations on TV have been traditionally bad. They've all been Elseworlds. Very few of them have even been recognizable going back yeah. in the early days. Going back to changing Bruce Banner's name to David because Bruce is Femi. Was that the reason? Yes, because in the 70s, Bruce was a, was a code name for gay. Right, right, right. So, I, I just didn't know that was the, actually the reason why. I always yes. wondered why they changed the yes, name for the because show. because they thought the 12-year-old boys that, that were the target audience for The Incredible Hulk would be snickering if he was called Bruce. Oh, Bruce, oh. And many yes, a boy and many yes, a On Saturday mornings at roughly the same time, kids were allowed to watch uncut and uncensored The Adventures of Bigfoot and Wild Boy. <sighs> I never saw that. <laughs> Did I miss anything? It was so bad. Well, all of the Sid and Marty Croft show. I've oh, said it before and I'll say it again. There's a reason Sid and Marty Croft's initials are S and M. Yeah. Now Lidsville was at least entertaining in a in a drug induced well, drug inducing in sort of way. Bigfoot and Wild Boy was even as a child, it was painful, but when you only have three networks, you watch what they put in front of you. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, I can listen to my mother tell me that I'm shit, or I can watch, let's see. Oh, Land Lost. Oh, this is a choice. Oh, it's a puzzler. All right, bring on the sleigh stacks. Hey, I remember a time when I, when I, when I willingly watched Fred Flintstone and the Shmoo. Remember the Shmoo? 
We're going to go back a few years, boys and girls. Well, the Shmoo is a character in Al Cap's Little Abner. Well, they brought him back in the late 70s on one of the Flintstone shows where Fred and Barney were cops in Bedrock, and their partner was the Shmoo. Okay. If the Shmoo in the comics was a kind of bowling pin-shaped yes. thing with whiskers that could shape change, okay, then yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, how weird that it wound up going from Little Abner to the Flintstones. That's that's some universe jumping. Now, I actually believe that the Shmoo was on another short-lived cartoon show either by, either by before this or at the same time. And this was I this was a another attempt to use the character. Hey, use the character. Hell, use the animation cells. You know, Hanna-Barbera, they never wasted anything. Oh, he's running. Let's use the same lamp 50 times. They <sighs> they just wanted to reuse the footage. I'm sure it, it, it's like, oh, let's put the schmoo in. Hey, we got no, nobody saw that piece of crap show anyway. Not a, in 30 years, even Jeff Holland won't be remember the title of it. <laughs> But anyway, like I said, that that via her her death really was was tough to justify. I and and I lost a few of the jokes for for about five minutes. I was just sitting there going, "Okay, you got to win me back," because I'm pissed. And then they did win me back. Not gonna lie, but still, that, that, that those five minutes were a bad five minutes for that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I I kind of felt like, given the fact that the main character commits suicide in the first fifty one seconds of the movie, it probably wasn't going to be the feel good film of the year. That's very true. I was disturbed. When she died, but I was not exactly shocked. But like you said, they were, uh, wasn't Ryan Reynolds saying, oh, I don't know if, what, 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 what we could do for a Deadpool 3 because it only works if you take everything away from him. And we're not sure how to do that again. I don't think that's true, but who am I to argue with Ryan Reynolds? He's a, he certainly has a better feel for the character than I do. But I was going to say, well, I don't know, maybe maybe to, maybe there, maybe he's thinking in films for dramatic purposes. I don't fucking know. It makes no sense to me. I don't care. By the way, it's Disney. I didn't say that. He's well, he's one of the writers. That's true. That is true. That is very true. He did actually. He is credited on this one, isn't he? Mm-hmm. But um, but like I said, thankfully, thankfully, the film did draw me back in. Like I said, once Domino showed up, I'm like, all right. Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, it wasn't so much that she died. I, I, I as much as I was, I rolled my eyes at it and was not not a fan of that plot point. It didn't it didn't alienate me. What alienated me was the fact that there was a kid in it, which I knew going okay. in. I knew going in, but it was like, all right. You really need to make this worthwhile because I hate this. And uh, it was okay. I was fine with this kid. I mean, and I, yeah, he was, he was okay. And whatever the, I, I do have to admit the end credit scene kind of almost made up for her death. It, it uh, took it back. Yes. It was a do over. So that's um, like when somebody plays a really cruel practical joke on you. You know, it makes you think your dog got hit by a car or something. I mean, a really cruel one. Yeah. The kind that people who like practical jokes like. Because people who like practical jokes are subhuman. <laughs> yeah. And it was sort of like, oh, I went through all that and she's not even dead. 
Great. Well, I had a feeling as soon as the time travel thing popped up, as soon as they even mentioned, began talking about time travel, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I just, I that didn't occur. To, I don't know why. I mean, I, I do think I know why, because I was involved in the movie. I was watching it. But uh, yeah, that probably should have been a, a tip off. But uh, all I can think, I all I do is just empathize with the actors. Like, oh, she's dead. Oh, well, there goes that paycheck. <laughs> And then, but then I bet she said, feels like crap having to go out and having, having to go out and do interviews before the, uh, the movie opened. You know, yeah, no, it's a great... I was thinking for most of it, yes. Yeah. I mean, they did find a clever way of allowing him to continue to visit her and allowing her to have uh, an effect on the story by having him knock, knock, knock on Heaven's Door periodically. But um, still, I felt bad. It's like, hey, you know how, how you just you created this incredibly lively funny sympathetic character in the first movie well come back do that but do it while sitting in a chair staring off into space because we think that's where your strong suit is as an actor mariah bakarin can sit like nobody else exactly that's some professional quality staring she learned that on serenity or firefly right I mean, it still freaking amazes me she hasn't aged a day uh, she she has remarkably good genes that woman I'm, I am, I am, I am, I I'm watching Gotham and I'm like, she looks just like she did in Firefly. And that was how many years? How is this? She is, she is not human. Well, she's in a bunch of sci-fi stuff. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but like I said, though, but then the retcon of, um, of, uh, Wolverine. Yeah, that was hilarious. Okay. So, Hey, it's, it's me. It's way. Don't scratch me. I'm just cleaning up the timeline. Blam, blam, blam. That was great. Uh, like I said, that was the that was that was like all right, all right. That almost yeah, that was. <laughs> and you know, honestly, after watching this, and um, you know, I I, I know it still do, it, it, it did well at the box office. I don't even I don't know if we need a third one now. I think I think it is time. It is time for the character, at least for a while, to to show up in other movies. I'm fine with that. I think the only reason way I would really want to see another one is if Hugh Jackman did agree to come back for uh, to play Wolverine, which I really don't think for a second he will. See, at first I wanted him to just for this, but then I saw somewhere someone talking about how they didn't want that at all because they didn't. They felt that coming back for a cameo in this would kind of besmirch. Uh, his legacy of ending with Logan, which is such a powerful performance. And I'm like, you know what? I can kind of accept that. That was me. I said that. You said that? That was me. Was that? Holy shit. Okay, then. I bow before you then. So I'm not going to bother to make that point now. But yeah. And I was thinking about this because Logan was on cable not too long ago. And I wound up watching the end of it. And I go, oh, this is, yeah, there's no better way to go out with this character. I mean, it's a, it's a really long, juicy death scene. But somebody who's who's up to now his whole thing is he's basically immortal you get to chew the scenery a little bit when you finally die i think that's fair you know having thought that over go ah what difference does it make the the timeline and the universes are so crisscrossed and screwed up from you know i'd like who's fox now who's marvel oh wait some who were i mean they 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 rented spider-man you know maybe they're gonna lease the fantastic four Maybe they're going to least own the X Men. Yeah. It's all sorry. It doesn't make any. It doesn't make any difference anymore. It's like ah, who cares? I mean, he still went out in a beautiful way. So if he wants to come back in, in some, I just wasn't so enamored and enamored. Wow, I wasn't so enamored of Josh Brolin's Cable that gotcha. I necessarily want to see him back. He was fine. He was a perfectly good 
rendition of that character. Not a huge Rob Liefeld fan. Well, uh, there are there are reasons. Yeah, did enjoy all the times where they made snarky remarks about what a crappy artist he is. That sounds like the kind of comic book bullshit that would be invented by some guy who couldn't even draw feet. <laughs> and he has no choice because because he gets a piece of the uh, royalties. He has no choice but to act like he's taking it like a good sport. <laughs> Suck on it, Rob. <laughs> Damn. Oh, he's terrible. Uh, he, I can't argue that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Comic books started uh, losing their appeal for me right around the whole. Let's put pouches on everything era. I'm just not pro pouch. I don't know when. But I just remember going to the comic shop a couple of times several years ago and just go, looking for something something new to read and just going through a lot of the new comics and saying, these all look really ugly. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know I could go back in and probably see much better artwork now and it was just the time, but I stopped going to the comic shop regularly and now, like I said, I started getting either just like the, the full issues of things and just of stories that like I read about something that strikes by fancy beforehand. I go out and look for something specific. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just weird. I quite literally, I, I looked at like, I remember this. It was a period of just a couple of weeks or every time I go into a comic, the comic shop, just looking at the new wall, looking at everything going, no, I don't want to read this. And it wasn't even right. Just the artwork turned me off. Yeah. A lot of the artwork is frankly ugly. Do you remember the Hellraiser comic? Oh, vaguely, yeah, vaguely. Only reason why I bring it up is because, you know, for those of you who don't know Hellraiser, the Hellraiser comic was, gee, a Hellraiser anthology series that Marvel put out. Um, short stories, different writers, different artists. Very interesting experiment. I don't remember how many issues it lasted. It wasn't very many. But the reason that I bring it up is because some of the artwork in this was amazingly gorgeous. We're talking like Dave McKeon-style painting. Some beautiful, beautiful artwork. And some of it was the most disgustingly pieces of shit I have ever seen. And I would skip stories. And I feel bad because I'm sure the stories were interesting. But just like the the, the art would immediately turn me off no i know i know that feeling exactly and i feel bad for writers if i'm engaged in a book but part of the appeal is the art and they start bringing in fill-in artists for whatever reason and and the styles clash it impacts my enjoyment and my ability to immerse myself in the story i will do the same thing i will skip stories and sometimes there are books where i like the story i like the writing it's fine but the art is just like for instance uh jh williams the third's art for batwoman uh, when they brought okay. the character, that's that's just amazing stuff. It's like every panel is a Maxfield Parrish painting. Re- as much as I enjoyed the um, the story, I realized I would probably buy this anyway just for the art. So it's a visual medium, and that fashions in comic book art are as ludicrous now, looking back at them, as <laughs> fashions that we wore. I mean, if you look at what we wore in the eighties. All that neon shit. You look at like X-Men comics from that era. You go, oh, yeah, you can tell at a glance what this is from. And then in the 90s, when printing technology got so much better and they were they were able to put out books that, you know, fewer Bende dots, more detail. The art got very ugly. And it was just it was just the fashion of the time. It, it was the design aesthetic. And it's like that's kind of when I really got very selective in my comic book reading just because I didn't like where the art had gone. Nowadays, it's a real mixed bag. 
Now, because you can do anything with technology and they have so many different production techniques and some, some books are very painterly and some books look like they were scratched out on the baseboards by a <clears throat> toddler in their own poop. Yeah. There's really, uh, you know, books to suit any taste. But uh, in the 60s, they all kind of looked the same. Everybody was trying to look like Kirby or Ditko. Right. Oh, speaking of comics, real fast, I, uh, tangent number 12, um, I have been reading Doomsday Clock. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know, Doomsday Clock is the highly controversial for some time um, sequel to The Watchmen that Jeff Johns is doing, which um, for the la ever since DC's rebirth, they have been building to something and this something they've been building to is this Watchmen DC Universe crossover as it appears that Dr. Manhattan has been messing with the DC Universe. Well, somebody sure has. Exactly. And the, the the Doomsday Clock is like the official storyline for it, told very much in the same style as Watchmen, the same, the same panel structure. Mm -hmm. So it feels very much like, like an official sequel. And I got to tell you, you know, as much as I love the original Watchmen, except for the ending, which I just don't like, um, Jeff Johns is doing a really good job of, of doing a worthy sequel while doing his own thing. Okay. I am really liking the story. And granted, I don't know. I'm sure that's exactly, that's exactly what Alan Moore would say in I those, know, I'm sure. in those same, sure. those same complimentary words. <laughs> now, I, I have not, I don't read a lot of, of comics in general, so I don't know a lot of the uh, minutia of the setup. Cause apparently what's go, this takes place. What's going on in the DC Universe portion of this story takes place like a year in the future. And the original plan was when Doomsday Clock ended its run, the DC comics would have reached that point. Okay. That was the overall pl original plan, but they went to a different publishing time for the comic, and that's been completely screwed up. Because instead of this all coming out in one year, now it's going to come out in three. Well, you know, time's arrow moves in only one direction and it's sad for instance here's here's a temporal dilemma that i find myself in uh oh tonight at 6 p.m there's something that i would love to tell the audience about but by the time they hear it this future event will already be in their past whoa that's I freaky i know shout tv the website will be broadcasting a marathon of street hawk tonight starting at 6 p.m oh my god are you kidding me i'm not kidding you i'm not kidding you street hawk the man the machine the marathon oh my god all 13 no. all 13 episodes all rex smith all the time <laughs> all rex smith only rex smith yes i mean they're also uh they they mentioned that there are guest stars like george clooney and christopher <laughs> lloyd but pretty much all rex smith and uh, most speaking of Rex Smith, I was cruising the YouTubes the other day and I happened upon a uh, a Pirates of Penzance video. I've totally forgot he was in that. Oh, how could you forget? He was great in that. It's it's been I haven't thought about honestly Pirates of Penzance in forever. I know why I was looking up modern major general for some reason. Mm. And um, then I found and I found the one from there that particular production. And I'm like. Oh, that's right. Kevin Klein, Linda Ronstadt, and Rex Smith. Here's a fucking musical cast. 
It is. I mean, it, what, what's hilarious? It's, Rex Smith is very funny in it. He handles his dialogue well. He's his voice is completely up to it. Uh, they bring Linda Ronset on. She's got a great voice, but she they give her one line, and she it's so bad that they decide to let the other actors react to it. She reads her one line, and granted, it's a long line, but she's just. It, I'm sure that was the best take they got, and that's just the they look at each other like, oh, they shouldn't have let her have that line. Oh, now I'm going back to Blue Bayou. I'm all depressed. <laughs> but I was, anyway. I was living in New York when that production was at the, I think it was at the Delacorte. It was a Shakespeare Shakespeare in the Park production. Right. right. And people went nuts for it. And I thought, what are they getting? All excited? This is what, Gilbert and Sullivan? They dusted one of those old war horses off? Why are they getting all excited about this? But... Um, I finally saw it. The one thing that I saw in, um, and this was actually a video from the stage production of Major General. That's why I thought it was so cool. It was like, oh, wow, okay, this is from the play, not the movie. Neat. Uh, the thing that I absolutely loved, I've Mostly never seen. Mostly the same cast, though. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but I, I've never seen, I, I've seen um, Pirates a couple of times on stage, and I've never seen the Major General do this. Um, at certain points in the song, he would sit there for a second to try and find the rhyme. Yeah. I'd never seen that before, and that was really freaking funny to me. Oh, yeah. What was his name? George something. George Rose. George Rose, okay. yes. I remember he, I'm pretty sure he was in the original, he was in the cast Shakespeare in the Park production cast, because I remember them singling him out for praise. I mean, the role basically just has that one good number, but he made the most of it. Tony Azito, I remember who played the constable sergeant, got a lot of good notices, mostly because he was just because he just had this rubbery body and, and did a lot of stunts basically on stage. Here's an interesting thing. Am I affecting you? Because I know you've got you have a natural, infectious, bubbly enthusiasm for life. And you are more than capable, generally, of going on and celebrating the things that you love. Whereas I, you know, I, I've got more of a knack for knocking things. But here we are, a movie we both enjoyed, and we have veered so far from Deadpool that we are now in Central Park in 1983. <laughs> so is it we're just losing the ability to like things or do we just not like it that much because it's a sequel and yeah it was fine honestly i think it's really it's like i said it's we the important things to say domino was pretty awesome mm -hmm. uh marina Buckhorn's death really pissed me off yep. even though it got retcon the other retcon at least almost made up for it i it was yeah <laughs> uh, I, I was eventually going to bring up the fascinating irritating but i was enjoying the tangents as well yeah no no i don't mean to rush you I was just noticing, sorry, from afar that... Um, I was going to attempt to bring... I was going to, as this was going on, attempt to rope it back in a Deadpool tool, and I thought, well, there really isn't anything else majorly that I want to say about it. No, my, my... The pleasure I took from it was perfectly satisfying. Both Mary and I enjoyed it. We walked out of it, a uh, smile on our face. But uh, it wasn't anything I thought about the next day, and it wasn't... There wasn't anything lingering about it that gnawed at me. Like, for instance, um, Avengers Infinity War. I think there were things about Deadpool 2 that I enjoyed much more than I enjoyed the things in Infinity War, although I did enjoy it. But there were things that really stuck with me and bugged me and made me think about it. And probably sitting down here now, this is the first time I've really thought about Deadpool 2 since I saw it. 
actually, yeah, kind of. Me too. Put really. that on it's your. It's not even a bad put, thing, but put that on your poster. Deadpool publicity people, I dare ya. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, walked out, didn't really think about it again. Well, that's the thing, though. Honestly, like you said, uh, I think one of the reasons, I mean, the first one was successful is because it was so um, surprising. And while it definitely, well, I mean, the the, the film definitely had its share of really freaking funny fourth wall breaks. um, We've already been there. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, it it does it doesn't have quite the same. Oomph. I mean, I did I I absolutely adored the film, except for when it pissed me off. Right. But um, again, the first one I I liked more because it was the first one. It has that special oomph. Yeah, whoever gets there first, it's always it's always that that's always the one that sticks with you. Even even if somebody comes along and does it better, somebody was comparing um, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor when Eddie Murphy was the big stand-up. And he was basically trying to do Richard Pryor. Yes. But in a more, uh, with something with more mass audience appeal. And somebody reviewing him said something that's always stuck with me. Talking about Pryor versus Murphy. He says, genius does it first, talent does it pretty. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Like the Richard Pryor stuff, it's it's genius. Some of it's rough. Uh, some of it, And some of it seemed rougher at the time because you weren't necessarily ready to hear some of that. Yeah. By the time Eddie Murphy came around, all of that stuff had been focus tested. So I don't know. Yeah. It, the, the first time had it's part of it was just the shock of what? No, did they really? And now it's like, Oh, are they going to do that again? Oh, they did. Oh, they found out. They found a way to do that again. So it's like, well, it, that's also a kind of cleverness, but it's not original. So there's no surprise. There's more just, all right. Yeah. I, I will accept this version of that thing that really pleased me the first time. And to be the last person to make the joke, I absolutely loved Christopher Plummer as T.J. Miller. There you go. Now then, fascinating, irritating. I am going to go first. I think we all know what my irritating is. I don't need to repeat it. That's not irritating. I'm going to call that infuriating because it did. It pissed me off. And also, even when it got fixed, I'm like, good. I was still pissed off even more because I thought, why was this even here? Right. What was there? He went on the journey. Big whooping deal. I mean, he did accomplish something. He did save people in the future. He saved the kid in the present. It's not like nothing happened and it was. No, I I just meant I just meant as far as that whole subplot. There was no reason I saw no reason for the death thing to even happen. No, it was cheap. It was cheap. Yeah. I, I would. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, like I said, that, 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 to me, that is the infuriating thing for me. The fascinating thing for me is uh, honestly the, the mass acceptance again of fourth wall breaks in movies. I love that. I, as you know, well, and everyone who knows me knows I love that shit. I adore that shit. I, I would love to see smart people do that shit because when it's done badly, it's done very, very badly. And it's just nice to see in like huge and well performing movies some Marx Brothers, Marx Brotherian, Mark Brothersian, Mark Brothersian, <laughs> Marxian. Not a not Marxian, Marx Mar- Brothersian, Grouchoian, some Grouchoian fourth wall breaks. All right, I I'm it's it's just nice to see that as 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 fucked up as we are right now, there is at least a large portion of us that can enjoy a really weird joke, and that makes me happy. Okay, you sir, fascinating. Well, I, this 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 issue draws us like iron filings to a magnet. 
They found a way to separate Wade and Vanessa for most of the film again without resorting to the same. Well, they, they didn't come up with some bullshit conflict or big misunderstanding of the sort that built the Love American style empire. Okay, that is true. So I give them credit for that. That is, said, I, I didn't even think about that. You're right. Okay. But the irritating thing is, it's not necessary. They're nope. great together. One of the few committed on-screen couples I've enjoyed watch pitching woo since William Powell and Myrna Loy in the Thin Man movies. You don't need to kill her to get her off camera for the length of a mission. It's perfectly sensible they wouldn't spend 24 hours a day together. She's an ex-hooker. He's a super-powered mercenary. He can go to work sometimes. I doubt she's going to just show up at the office when he's killing loincloth-clad Yakuza in Tokyo. Just stop kidnapping or killing her and let them quip their way through some larger problem. It's She's an asset to the series. So, there. Oh, also, not enough Negasonic Teenage Warhead. <laughs> But, 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 to to slightly balance that, we did get more Colossus. We did get more Colossus. And and to be fair to the filmmakers, I, they did do reshoots, which were reportedly to, I, to increase Domino's screen time, because I guess she tested through the roof with audiences. So I'm sure Negasonic Teenage Warhead's relatively few scenes are the result of comment cards. But... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll, people, bet, I'll bet you she'll be an X Force. Maybe, maybe people felt like she's she's lost her edge since she grew her hair out a little and is rocking more of a soft butch look now. She'll have something to do in X Force. I hope so. I hope so. I but like will her. Dave? I like the actress. I like the character. Uh, will who? Oh, what's his <laughs> bad joke? What's his name? The dude with the stash. Peter. Peter. That's right. Well, he did go out of his way. He did go back in time to save him and only him. <laughs> did you follow were you did you follow his twitter account i do he's very funny okay <laughs> yeah, as soon as i found that existed i'm like okay the, uh, I, I love that? how we have first view of him he's got that he's got that big mustache the cop mustache he's got he's got the dad bod and the you know the the members only jacket and uh deadpool holds up his headshot am i being catfished here <laughs> Oh my! Oh my! Oh, and since we're on one final tangent, one final tangent. Um, if you're looking for a, a a new Twitter account to follow, for those of you who are on the Twitter sphere, I highly recommend. And I can't believe I'm saying this at Suspiria. That is right. The Twitter account for the new Suspiria movie. The trailer hasn't even been released yet, but whoever is running the account is um. A demented little genius, and I love them. I hopefully they'll get more work. I, I understand um, Buffalo Wild Wings is hiring. <laughs> oh, and not just that one. Uh, there's, you're going to love this, Scott. The Pop-Tart feed. <laughs> as long as it's not the Danish go-round feed, because I draw the line there. No, 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 no. The, the, the Pop-Tart U.S. feed. Uh, I, I do not follow it. I should, though, because uh, I'm getting retweets from it. Um, apparently, people send the official Twitter feed pictures of Pop-Tarts with various food items on them, uh, usually disgusting food items. And they have the Pop-Tarts feed retweets it with various snarky comments, and it's really funny snark. Hmm. 
It just it just it amuses me that this that this level of humor is coming from like official, you know, official major property or trademark branded blah, blah, blah uh, feeds. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just shows that the people who run these corporations don't really know or care what the social media interns are doing. And I say to that good. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all right, folks, we will be back after an incredibly brief pause for a uh, in-depth discussion of Solo. Solo. So, so long. <laughs> it's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown movie 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 challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. It's the new movie crew. I'm Jeff. That's Scott. That's Mary, that's Blanche, that's John, and that's my mama. Hi, guys. <laughs> we are talking Star Solo, a Star Wars story. The Star Wars movie that nobody wanted. The Star Wars movie that nobody went to go see, apparently. Um, the, the backlash has worked. All of the anti-social justice warriors have hopped to the Twitter sphere, proclaiming their success and knocking Kathleen Kennedy down a few pegs. But the big question is, is it a good movie? What did you guys think? I thought it was it was fine. It was good. It was okay. <laughs> I will say that unfortunately I was predisposed to not like this movie because uh, when I would see the trailers, it would be like they're trying so hard to be cool, and then Blanche would say to me, "Yeah, but uh, Lando Calrissian is cool." And it wasn't until I saw the movie I said, "See that the problem is is not that they're being cool, is that they're saying, look how cool I am,' mm-hmm. and 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 really just." A lot of it was a lot of formulaic stuff. Nothing in nothing creative, nothing inventive. Just like yeah, hit this button. Like, what did somebody say? Uh, check, you know, check, check this box, box check this box, box, check this box, etc. Well, Mary and I were trying to talk ourselves out of expectations on on the <laughs> way to the theater. We were just saying, let's just walk in. Let's not dread it. Let's not be excited. Let's just go in and meet the movie on its own terms and see what happened. You know what it was? It felt like. Like going on a blind date after you'd been on maybe three or four in a row that hadn't really worked out that well, and you were just going. <laughs> we'll see what ha- we'll see how it goes. I'm not going to put on the the good cologne. You know, <laughs> I'll splash on some of that Dracon Noir I got for Christmas. That's as far as I'm going to go. And then I'm we'll wearing see. my I'm wearing my tennis shoes. The penny loafers are staying home tonight. Mm-hmm. The movie I don't think suffered by low expectations on my part. Because I didn't go in determined to hate it. But I, I never walked. I, as pessimistic as I am as a person, I am a cockeyed optimist when it comes to movies. I always want to give them benefit of the doubt, and I always want them to succeed. Unless I'm working on a uh, piece for the book, and then I want them to fail and fail hard, and I get resentful if they don't. <laughs> but I'm not at all surprised by the box office. What will be interesting to see, because there was so much pre-release Michigas 
mm-hmm. uh, over them firing the directors in midstream and bringing in an OP and and the fact that it was released so soon after The Last Jedi, which has traumatized so many people. What will be interesting to see is if the bad opening weekend shows a, an upward trend, meaning the people who did go see it are talking to their friends and there's some decent word of mouth, or if it's just a drops off a cliff like Superman versus Batman. I haven't seen any numbers. It did win the weekend. So my question is, is it really, is it bad because it's a, it's a Disney entity that's a juggernaut? And so it's bad comparatively or, or are the numbers actually good if it was some other movies? But I'm, I'm curious. It was 100 million domestically and it was mm-hmm. 65 million internationally, which is an historic low for a Star Wars yeah. film. Okay. Every Star Wars movie that's been released, with the exception of Attack of the Clones, has been the highest grossing movie of its year. The height of the Bond films, they were coming out once, like once every 18 months. The, the original Star Wars films, there was like three years between each one, built up a lot of anticipation. Now they're releasing them more like MCU movies. Mm-hmm. Filming them at the same time. and One of the things I, that separates it from the other Star Wars films... With the other ones, even though the the story may be about a specific person like Luke or Rhea, or it was still momentous for the galaxy. It was like you know had had effects on the entire galaxy. This was basically a heist film, and really the only person that would be going to be affected by it necessarily was going to be Han and his friends, you know. And so it really it didn't have the gravitas of the other Star Wars films where momentous things were happening. That's a very good point because uh, you could say that Rogue One is a heist film, but the stakes are incredibly high. This is more like every other heist film. The 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 stakes in a heist film generally come from, do they get away? Are, are the characters going to survive? And you have to care about the individual. But those are very small stakes. I don't Plus, want to we already know they were going to get away. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. Whereas in Rogue One, we didn't know they were all going to die. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. We hoped, but... <laughs> Jeff, Jeff hoped, because he's that kind of bloodthirsty monster. But um, it was perfectly fine. That that was what they did in Rogue One was certainly worth dying for. But dying in this would be stupid. You'd be dying because you got involved with gangsters. And as we learned from the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode, I Accuse My Parents... It's stupid to get involved with the mob. <laughs> You're just going to wind up in juvenile court. Have really uh, complicated hair. Have really complicated hair. So, yeah, the stakes were small. And, and I was thinking about something similar today, how kind of small the world was. Like, in thinking back on it, and I'm probably um, exaggerating it in my mind, but it seems like rather than this galaxy-spanning adventure, a lot of... The action took place in uh, Paul Bettany's office. <laughs> it was a nice office. It was a nice <laughs> office, and, and they did trash it at one point. They did, you know, but I mean, it was like a major fight. You know, the, the, the big bad guy gets killed in his office. I mean, it was like the end of Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> his office and his film memorabilia. Exactly. That's right. All he of did, his collectibles. He had a large collection of, um, of memorabilia from the, from the crappier lucas uh, spielberg films like the crystal skull the golden idol was there too oh, okay was... I, take, I, stand See, I, I thought that i thought it suffered from the script as well i mean uh i sat in the theater watching it thinking the word trite and trite is not the right word uh it's just that it's it's predictable formulaic stuff 
expected. I would, hear, I would hear these people saying things that were just a lot of exposition or saying things that people don't talk like that. You know, it's just like you're ex, you're expounding on something, you know, and saying what, what's to set up what's what what's happening and where we are and who's in charge, etc. One of the examples was uh, when he came back with the little uh, coaxium metal bottle and he says to Kara that, you know, this is it. And she goes, yes, what you what we needed to get a ship and leave here. And I go, yeah, you could have found a better way to say that, you know, you don't want to just suddenly say talking about, yes, this is what we planned for, but the ship, et cetera, et cetera. Let me explain to everybody what we were planning for, because you don't remember. That's another good point, because this, I think, is is an architectural, <laughs> this is a design flaw built into prequels. If you look, if you remember Star Wars, amazing world building, but very little was explained, because the movie's moving too fast. And you, there's a, a bunch of stuff is inferred. And it's fine. You don't need every little detail filled in about who's underneath these helmets, and what was the Clone Wars? It's it's all it's left you wanting to hear more, but it didn't make it impossible for you to follow the story. And when you get to these pre to these prequels, the whole movie exists to fill in the blanks. That's what it's there for. So over explaining every little fucking thing seems to me to be an occupational hazard for this mm. kind of movie. And you're right. The I mean, I I am a deadly foe of clunky exposition. There's nothing I heard. I hate worse. And the thing that disappointed me about this is that Lawrence Kasdan is better than this. And he knows how to do the, the best thing possible. It's like the question they asked Conan. What is the best thing in life? To defeat your enemies, to drive them to before you, to hear the lamentations of their women. To me, it's getting <laughs> your exposition in and disguising it as a joke. Making people think you only mentioned that thing because you had a laugh line. J.K. Rowling is very good at this. I know it's in the books. She will mention something, and it's just such a weird thing. You get the sense that it's not world-building. It's just she had a joke. But because it's such a weird thing, it sticks in your head, and then it, then it turns out, out being something important, and it pays off at the end. There was none of that here. Everything was, uh, as we said right after the movie, box-checking. It's like, all right, well, we got to check this box. All right, he's met... He's met uh, Chewbacca. Oh, we threw a little twist in how it happens there. He's going to eat him at first. That's new. But it's all it, it's all stuff that they had to show us. And it seems like they should have worked harder to disguise it. But they just worked hardest at getting it in. And maybe they were so underwater by the time Ron Howard came on that just cleaning it up and making it coherent was a triumph. Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. I mean, there's something like when he says Chewbacca, that's too long i have to think of a shorter thing. like really do we need to yeah. hear that right you don't the, the, these things you know these things just... don't happen organically you yes. just start calling a guy chewy and and that's it you know this whole i gotta change that no it doesn't happen <laughs> nobody does that nobody <laughs> and I... where did he learn uh wookie how to speak wookie? the streets the mean streets of wherever he was from Corellia. i don't know it doesn't matter. I don't really care. The, <laughs> the Streets of Corellia, the new show from Quinn Martin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Tonight's Kevin? special Hello? guest Hello? star, Darth Maul. <laughs> oh, that's good. Did anybody see the bottom half of Darth Maul being robotic? Yes. I didn't see that. I missed it. I was looking at his face because I was, I was trying to think, is that Ray Park? 
under all that makeup, why it is Ray Park? But there, but it's Sam Witwer's voice from the cartoons. Boy, poor Ray Park. They would not trust that guy with a single line. Actually, if it were if it were the Streets of Corelli, if it were a Quinn Martin production, it would the special guest star would be Malachi Throne, <laughs> who I always thought already sounded like a Star Wars villain. Exactly, Emperor Malgus. Exactly. Yes. Why would he have a mechanical bottom half? He didn't get cut in half yet. No, actually, this um, in canon takes place, I believe, like I said, it's, it's uh, 10 years before. This is, no, this is no. even before Rebels. So at this, this is, point in It's after Phantom Menace because. But before the, Rebels. Because the Empire has taken over. Remember, he got, Maul oh. got cut in half in the Phantom Menace when the, when the Republic was still in existence. Oh, okay. And it didn't kill him? Wow. Well, there was there was a whole a whole storyline that went down in um, both the Clone Wars and Rebels involving Maul. Oh, that's okay. why that's sort of why Maul's reveal was for certain fan geeks a, a big thing in the movie because Maul they actually took Maul and um, from and made him unlike Boba Fett who became an interesting character because he's only in the one film even though he died like a bitch in Jedi they really <laughs> did a great job with um, Maul in the expanded universe of making him an interesting character and actually at this point. Even in the and this was even set up in the cartoon shows, he would be the head of this particular criminal organization. So like, all right, you know, timeline wise, this all fits up. This is cool. I, I was I was also very impressed with the fact that they got Ray Park back. That was really cool. Well, if you're gonna fan service, service the fans. Exactly. You know, although it could have been Hugo Weaving, that would have been good. Yeah, he won't come back. He couldn't even be bothered to come back for Avengers Infinity War. No, no, no. Now all of these parts are going to be played by. Oh, damn it. I lost Joe because I can't think of his name now. Who they get to? Christopher Plummer. There we go. Oh, well. <laughs> Great joke ruined by bad memory. Oh, Jeff's old. I still like the joke. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be the, the 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 major lone voice here. I walked in with very low expectation. Like I said, Han was my seven year old first gay crush, always my favorite character. I did not want this movie and I walked out kind of loving it. Oh, really? Okay. I really kind of loved this movie. Um, I completely agree with everything that you guys have said. It is just a heist movie, but you know what? I have no problem with that. There was a comic book that came out when um, Dark Horse was r running the uh, series called Dar uh, Star Wars Tales, and what they did is they just told a variety of different stories that were just set in the Star Wars universe. And to, again, like you said, um, a lot of these stories didn't have the gravitas of the of the saga stories they were just stories that took place in the universe and in the comic book i kind of liked that um there was actually a series of novels only the first one i liked called um dark troopers not dark troopers not dead troopers something like that but it was basically star wars zombies yeah oh that's awesome and it was a great story. They did I, they did like a couple of novels. The first one is absolutely amazing. It's actually scary. Hmm. This is actually kind of, in a way, a Star Wars, the, the, even though it's a prequel, it's the story that I was kind of waiting for because I wanted one of those movies that, that wasn't one of the saga films. Like, you know, you, you guys, I, I consider Rogue One to be a war film more than a heist film, personally. 
To me, it had all of the tropes of the war film, especially in the fact that all of the characters freaking died. It's not, I mean, they do steal something, but maybe it's not a uh, Rogue One isn't a heist film so much as it is a caper film in the, that's, say, Dirty Dozen vein. Yeah, that's that's I was that. just thinking that. Dirty Dozen, that's a very that's a very good analogy. But I was thoroughly happy with the fact that it was just a Western heist film. And you're right, all of the all of the tropes were hit, but for me I had no problem with that. I was walking out going, You're right, everything that you guys have said is a negative, I cannot argue with, but it didn't bother me at all. And also, in um this is the Chewbacca film I've been waiting for. <laughs> I like how they made they they really went to the western imagery i did yes. like a lot i really enjoyed that and i thought yes of course he's the gunslinger this is the one you want to have all that imagery for and i i was very happy for that i was worried when we first when it first started because it felt very much like a children's movie was, <laughs> i know like, what you mean <laughs> I, yeah i didn't like that whole beginning yeah, I felt Oliver like the, in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They thinking, are they going to start singing? And I was like, oh, well, okay. But as I told everybody after we left, I said, well, George Lucas did everybody a favor with the, you know, Phantom Menace um, being, setting the, he set the bar so low. But, <laughs> but it got so much better, though. It did. It got a lot better after that. Yeah, with Phantom Menace, the bar, it wasn't a matter of the bar being low. The bar was actually... Uh, subterranean. It was like one of the. There, there's a sign over the bar for the Phantom Menace that said, "Call before you dig." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, I mean, I walked out of this like after the sheer, you know, a, a, a heady divisiveness of the Last Jedi and how it was trying to break the mold and do something that was so very different. I thought this was just a very nice palate cleanser. Well, that's the problem I had with it was. I wanted something different, and I don't feel like I got it. What I wanted as I was watching this, and one of the first things we talked about when we came out of the movie, I liked it. I was fine. I was not bored by it. I was I was entertained. I enjoyed a good deal of it. Um, but it made me more than anything else want to see the movie Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were making. The guys yeah. from 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. Because I think they were more interested in doing something different and surprising and funny otherwise why all of the onset improv that outraged uh lawrence kasdan while kasdan was interested in illustrating the origins of every han trope which requires carefully following the script because everything has to be set up oh there's this specific thing that came up referenced later so we've got a Here's how we explain it. That That's an involved process. And to me, it's not all that interesting. Here's what I would have been happier with. Rather than seeing him as an Oliver-style urchin on the mean streets of Corellia, boosting speeders and singing Consider Yourself at Home, at home I would rather have seen him and Chewbacca already together. Doing crimes. Doing crimes, man. Let the big thing be when he gets the um, Millennium Falcon. Just one thing, but they were setting up so much stuff. I will say this. I did like that Alden Ehrenreich didn't try to do Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford, but Donald Glover was doing the hell out of Billy D. Williams, and I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. He had that. See, I want, I want the, the, the mall storyline to continue in a Lando movie. I want now the Lando-centric movie. I would be perfectly fine with a crime thriller or something happening on Cloud City now that he's getting it, you know, and involving that, that crime syndicate. I would be totally fine with that story. Did anyone else notice that 
they only mentioned once that ship that he didn't have that he lost to Lando. He asked, where is it? Well, I don't have it here. But then from then on, nobody mentions it again. He just, Lando just says, where's my half? And never mentions, where's my ship? My second <laughs> ship that I go to. Ever. It didn't exist. Yeah, and he didn't know yeah, that. He didn't know that. <laughs> that was a good point. See, I thought that was, that I did think it was going to come up. And that's when he would say, yeah, well, mm-hmm. you cheated. Kinda- <laughs> but they never did. So. No, they, they, they dropped, you're right. They just dropped that like a hot potato. Oh, well. <laughs> I just, I'm just really, unfortunately, unfortunately, now just the 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 anti Star Wars Star Wars fans are going to take this as a personal victory, and even though I am, I know exactly who to avoid when I went into my the last Jedi hate filled um, study. It still just bugs me because I get the retweets from these people in my feed, so I'm see, I'm still going to see it, and yeah. I just I hate the fact that they're going to take this as a personal victory because it's not like it's a bad film. No. It may be it may be derivative, and um, it may, as you said, click all of the all of the trope boxes. But it does it effectively. It is a it is a Ron Howard movie in the sense that yes. it is like your average movie is, let's say, cream of wheat or malto meal, <laughs> and a Ron Howard movie is smooth artisanal oatmeal with a creamy mouthfeel. Oh. And a light texture, but essentially, essentially a bland taste. Nothing wrong with it. Perfectly good for you, but I think. Well, blind said perfectly inoffensive. Yeah, but uh, I think with um, when you compare to the other Star Wars films, etc., or the, the Star Wars world, the where it sits as far as entertainment, etc., kind of matches what the their grosses are. You know that it's yeah, it's it's entertaining and stuff but not as entertaining as the last ones we've seen, right? right? Well, here's the thing. After seeing, you know, as a kid, seeing Star Wars, I couldn't wait for the story to continue. I couldn't wait for the sequels. After seeing Han Solo, do I need to see more Han Solo? I don't feel like I do. Would I like to see now a standalone movie about Princess Leia? How do you guys feel? Personally, I, that's a movie I want to see. It'd be full of tears. <laughs> no, um, yeah, um, little uh, the the little entitled princess become the warrior, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, playing or never playing. entitled, always being formed into a warrior, maybe. And also the books that the two books that were written, I can't remember the name of the author, and I should. Oh yeah, she's the reason why I don't read. Well, she's the reason why I I, I don't read Star Wars books anymore. Well, her people, but she wrote two very good books all about uh, Leia's formative years. Are those the ones that are just out now? They uh, the first one, Bloodlines, came out early on in the run, and I think it's. Uh, Princess of Alderaan is the second one. Yeah, because there's one with that looks like a Carrie Fisher animated, you know, painted. Yes, yeah, it's Bloodlines and Princess of Alderaan, and um, they uh, they pretty much give you everything that you would want for in a Princess Leia movie. At the risk of sounding hypocritical, yes, I would like to see. I would be more excited about a Princess Leia movie because one, unlike Star Wars, in which the jury is still out. Disney knows how to make a quality princess movie. <laughs> <laughs> and why is this no brainer? Yes, we have yeah. a princess. Make yeah. a movie. 
Exactly. And because, you know, it could be very timely, because as, as Blanche says, you know, the story of how this entitled, pampered, aristocratic pris gets woke and decides to risk all... Living with Latino family, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Li- living La Vida Loca on Alderaan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be all gone. Maybe have the big hoop earrings. <laughs> it would be hilarious if if they did treat, like, the, the her upbringing, the Alderaan scenes, the family scenes there, like a telenovela, where it's like, Ah, well, that hey, would be awesome. And Jimmy Smith's work. Style. Yeah, telenovela style. Yeah, all the dramatic pauses and the fabulous clothes. And the dramatic turns. And the dramatic turns. In front of a window. <laughs> so, um, all right. So here, here, here is the big question. Then, especially after seeing this one, what, what besides Princess Leia? And let's not um, do like specific characters. Something I'm interested in. What would you guys like to see as um, non-saga Star Wars movies? What aspects of the Star Wars universe would you like to see explored? I don't have a, a preference about it because I'm I'm not one of these nerds that I, I I am I I am a nerd. I'm not one of these nerds who has a specific area where you know what they really need to do is talk about how you know the the miners guild and blah 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 and, you know, 65 bby rose up because that was really the origins of the empire and i i would just i would like them to introduce characters that have no connection to the characters we've seen so far it's a big galaxy it's a mm-hmm. big wonderful beautiful they treat it like it's a small world and it's not uh that's entirely a different Disney ride. I would like them to just surprise me. I don't want to know. I'd, I'd like to see a Jar Jar Binks origin story. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you still want that Jar Jar is a, is a secret Sith Lord, don't you? <laughs> well, he is that. I'd like to see the beginnings of the Jedi and how they became so insufferable. <laughs> ah. Who was the first Jedi? We know who the last Jedi was. <laughs> See, you know, I, I really want. I, and I'm, I, I mean, I, I, that's why I was really excited for that thirteen thirteen game. Mm. I want it, something set in the criminal underworld. Yeah, they've got they've got thousands of uh, gangs that show up in games and books. I mean, they've got the Black Sun, they've got the Crimson Dawn. I mean, it's a it's a major deal. And, and like with any authoritarian government, that breeds corruption and black markets and a society, a philosophy of verboten. Always, always makes uh, makes for contraband, which makes for uh, entrepreneurial spirits. So, I mean, I would have rather have seen Han smuggling. You know, if they're going to do a heist film, I uh, mean, they just want here. They just want to say, see, he's a really good guy underneath, but he gets he gets embittered because he's as of- as somebody as somebody mentioned online, and I think this puts it well. It's like he didn't his girlfriend didn't even really necessarily betray him or break up with him. She just ghosted him. She ghosted him with a starship. <laughs> What's the name of the um, that rival gang that we meet? The ones that are always stealing away from. Oh, at the Envernest. The Envernest. Well, they they kind of set up a potential movie about them, didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they set it up. They left them there. We see them. They're still there. Complete. They're about beginning the rebellion. Is what they even say it. So potentially that could be another story that they're floating. I'm going to talk about something I do like. I can't help feeling, and I don't know this for sure, 
But I can't help feeling that this might be an artifact from uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's part of the film. But I would like to talk about Lando's unusual relationship with L3, his his droid. Uh, we've seen plenty of people get emotionally attached to droids in Star Wars, but this is perhaps the first time when someone's had a fatal attraction style sexual obsession with one, <laughs> one of their household appliances. And when L3 insists Kira sit down and break Bechtel law with her by talking about boys, that was actually mm-hmm. one of my favorite scenes where she states that Lando is totally into her but he's just a booty call to her. Um, and Mary said, said, oh, yeah, Lando's totally using her for sex. But I wonder, because when Kira says, uh, how would that work exactly? L3 gets all sexy. I mean, it's a little hard to, to hear through the vocal oh. synthesizer effects, but she it has works. kind of that throaty quality Kathleen Turner had in Body Heat. You know, and she says, oh, it, <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah. Which makes me think that she's using Lando. But for what? A source of lubricants? Because, <laughs> you know, you know that in the time period when Lando had the Falcon again, when they were looking for Han and rescuing him from Jabba the Hutt, yeah, no, he stuck his dick somewhere in the Falcon. <laughs> Got a shock, I hope. Is L3 still there? Well, somebody, yeah. somebody said that that was an interesting, it's probably something nobody was saying, no, nobody was demanding an explanation for, but they, it's at a couple points in the films, 3PO, I think, mentions that when uh, they're trying to interface with the uh, with the Falcon says your your ship communicates in a very idiosyncratic way yep, and from uh, Empire so, so now we you, now we know you guys got me like imagining Lando watching robot porn <laughs> <laughs> rule 34 well, it's out there yep okay so since you brought it up you reminding me of this um, article of uh, an old friend of mine posted saying yes this is a very disappointing turn and uh, he's a very critical guy about everything and the article I skimmed it and it was basically someone writing about how since the character is all about equal rights for the droids and then the article goes on saying that it was a really horrible thing that she's ultimately relegated to slavery by being taken apart and put now into the Millennium Falcon and she has no choice and and, and said, you know, how would you like it if you woke up your consciousness in something where you have no control over what you can do? And I was like, okay, people. Uh, oh. A little too. Well, I, yeah, and I said, I would liken it more to, hey, she died. It's more like a, a, a organ transplant. Because mm-hmm. I thought that not her consciousness or her whatever makes her was being uploaded, in, but that it was just her database, navigational database. So yeah. just a piece of it. Yeah, but then you guys are mentioning how how she would still be there, what you guys were saying. Mm. So you're saying that like it's, she's idiosyncratic, you know, the Millennium Falcon is idiosyncratic, and, and that that would be because of her. Well, then that implies, yeah, more of her is in there, not just native. Well, I think I think you you put it exactly right when you said organ transplant, because it's not she's not the voice. There's no shortage of science fiction films where where the ship talks. Some of them, like Battle Beyond the Stars, very irritating examples. <laughs> but that's not the case with the Millennium Falcon. It just said it just said he she's interfacing. Uh, Lando says she's part of the ship now, so she's diffused throughout the the systems. Part of her is a ghost in the, or in that particular machine. I don't think she woke up and said, "Oh my God, I don't have any hands anymore." 
Um, <laughs> she died. You know, she, I think she, it's she, like it's right. It's like people, it's like her liver survived. It's like some people may be thinking a little bit too hard. I I agree. I thought it was way over the top. The article was very impassioned. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, I, that's 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 the that's the dark. That's nerds who have fallen to the dark side of overinterpretation. I mean, I to me it was just it was a clever. She was she was a woke droid, and and it was a clever twist on all of these subservient mechanical creatures, and she's just basically not that happy about taking your shit. Is there anything else you need? Equal rights, she says at one point. And nobody takes it that seriously. Even Lando just sort of rolls his eyes. But boy, he was just screaming and tearing up when she got shot to pieces. This is this is and she she what it reminded me of what happened to um, Ellen Tudyk's character in Rogue One. It's like the two <laughs> the two most interesting uh, droid characters in the recent years uh, have gotten murdered gruesomely. Well, droids are the new black man. Ah, that's why she was agitating for civil rights. Now it all makes sense. Droid okay. lives matter. Oh, we're gonna have a C three two movement too. <laughs> <laughs> no, just no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I, I. Well, I didn't even know how how bad or good the thing had done when I saw it. Like I said, when I walked out of it, I was just like, all right, you know what? I had fun. I will not. It's not one that I'm going to be like. I, I, it's not one that I'm definitely going to like buy the day it comes out on digital, get the Blu-ray, because Lord knows I don't want to hear Ron Howard's commentary unless I want to go to sleep. Um, but I mean, it was it was I'd. For some reason, the palate cleansing of this one or what worked on me. Um, now, I, I agree with you, Scott. It would have been. It would be. I think it would have been much more interesting to see what Lord and Taylor did with it. Um, then I also really want a Star Wars horror film. I don't think we're ever going to get Star Wars zombies as a movie either. But that's okay. Yeah, probably not because I mean they are mindful that it's 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 ultimately a, a family franchise, but. Um... The people who went to see it really wanted it to succeed. Now, granted, we were in the Chinese theater, which is a huge house with an enormous IMAX screen. You need a big, big crowd for that place to look packed. Nevertheless, we did have a pretty sparse group with us uh, the night we saw it. And they were still vocally enthusiastic when the last preview of uh, coming attractions uh, screened and the lights went down for a moment and some guy shouted, yeah, let's get this going. And then the Star Wars fanfare started. They went nuts as much as, you know, 50 people can go nuts in a big echoey barn of a theater. Uh, so they wanted it to succeed. A lot of them were happy with the movie because a surprising amount of people stayed through the credits. Okay. And hung out in the, in the lobby and, yeah, which is usually a sign that people want to talk about the the movie. Yeah, they uh, don't want to just like let's just get out of here. Yeah, further away I can get. I uh, mean, like with the Sex in the City franchise. Yeah, <laughs> I need a shower. Let's go. <laughs> I want to know when Han Solo turned from an optimist into a pessimist. I mean, in the, in the later films, he was like, "I got a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this," mm-hmm. and he even says, "I got a good feeling about this and this," but. Think about it. He is escaping from people who want to kill him, right? 
he gets locked off from from Kira, and she's being dragged away. And then three years later, he thinks he's going to go back and save her. Yeah, that's pretty optimistic. <laughs> I, think, I think it's her taking the yacht and going, uh, bye, Felicia. Yeah, I, think that's what, I think that's what yeah. got him. <laughs> Good point. Yes, it's always the woman who changes the optimistic, go-getting young idealist and turns him into the embittered ex-soldier of fortune that we meet at the beginning of Casablanca. <laughs> but again, if this film gave me anything, it gave me hope that someday we will get the reboot of the Star Wars holiday special that we've all been looking forward to. Yeah, so so excited that uh, he was going to find uh, Lala and Lumpy in that mine. But yeah, it was, was not to be. Was that Lala that he touched heads with? At the... Yes. I don't think yeah. it was. I thought, I thought it was Mala. I thought it was Mala. I don't. Oh, Mala. I don't think he would have left his wife to go run off with... Uh, no, I think he just made a love connection. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how the kids have sex. That's true. That we may have just witnessed it. Yeah. I, w- I was going to say we could we could have been watching Wookiee porn, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's only oh, fair because no, the ho- Star Wars Wookie holiday involves... in the right. Star Wars holiday special, the Wookiee watches human porn. So <laughs> that's right. Wookiee porn involves Diane Cannon. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Uh... Oh God, that. That is still my favorite scene out of that that whole what the fuckery that is the Star Wars <laughs> holiday special. The the Diane Cannon scene is still my favorite moment, not only for the masturbation reference, but for the I, I she has the one line, and I know I'm paraphrasing it, but it has something to do with her pleasuring him, or I'm here to pleasure you, or you're here to pleasure me, and I'm like, and this is a kid show. The fuck. It was the '70s, though. We were much more broad-minded back then. No, that's true. I mean, it had Cirque du Soleil on there, too. So why the hell not? Hey, anything before before AIDS and the backlash to the sexual revolution. I mean, there was I saw boobs in PG-13 movies. That's yeah, true. Yeah, there used to be boobs in PG-13 movies. That's right. Yep. We've gotten very puritanical now. Uh, back, yeah, in, back the in the 70s, the Hasbro had the, the game. Now kids can have their own key party game. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, they they get they get those plastic keys, you know, that people like to shake for babies, and then you know, from the people who brought you the game of life, it's key party. Yeah, it's how it's how life starts, accidentally. Oh man! Drunk and go home, go home with your neighbor for two hundred dollars. <laughs> Do not pass go, because your wife is waiting there for you. <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, on 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 that note, it is time for the one, the only, the fascinating, irritating thing. And I'm gonna be a dick, and I'm gonna go first, nanny nanny boo boo. Um, the fascinating thing for me really was um how much of uh, how much I enjoyed it. Walking in with incredibly low ex- low to no expectations and walking out going, all right, I had issues, but I thoroughly had fun. That was a good time at the movies, much more than I was expecting. It was a much better time than I was expecting. And with all the fact that they were able to make it a good time genuinely surprised me. Um, 
the 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 irritating thing for me is I do gotta see the fact that it, there was not a single moment in the film that you couldn't have seen coming from thirty miles away. So while I love it as a palate cleanser, I also this is me being the hypocrite again. I'm also kind of chastising it for that because there was it was in so very much by the numbers. So my fascinating irritating is the same thing, kind of. Okay. Uh, Blanche. My fascinating was, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the graphic displays of the Millennium Falcon and what they did there, because in this day where we're getting lots of nerds uh, complaining about how the new Star Trek, even though they're prequels, everything is updated and slick and fancy and new, and, and it's completely counter to what we saw in the original series. This movie found a way to to kind of keep it in that style. So they didn't really change the 1970s graphics inside the Millennium Falcon when we saw all of the, the visual displays. They still had switches. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked it. I said, see, they found a way. That's how you do it. I mean, granted, the production values from the Star Wars film were greater than the Star Trek series, but still, they didn't make it all slick and fancy and retro retrofit the... Uh, Millennium Falcon. That's anyway, true. That, that's what I enjoyed. Irritating, actually the same as, as Jeff. You could see things coming. You're like, oh, and oh, and this is where we meet the Wookiee. Oh, and now we're going to, oh, I bet she's going to say that now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was a little predictable. But then again, it was, we knew it was a prequel and we knew it was going to happen. So, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't complain. But I'm still going to. That's why we have, Blanche, that's why we have a podcast. So you can complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is me that's the only reason that is why we started the slum gullion was for you to come on <laughs> a place to bitch exactly and there, there's your new tagline a place to bitch i like that <laughs> america's only podcast is a place to bitch <laughs> all right mrs c okay my fascinating I have a couple of fascinating. Um, my first fascinating was I did like how I noticed the little scar on on Han's chin. I was like, "Hey, there's his scar. Cool." So there's that. <laughs> oh, interesting. At, you know, that's something that they could have done, you know, like Indiana Jones did, where they see where he yeah. gets the scar, but they didn't. That's they fine. Didn't. <laughs> um, and then the other one was I'm betting this is one of the Easter eggs that when they were doing their little their little scheme to get the unrefined whatever it's up on the, the that Beckett was wearing the same kind of a uniform that Lando ends up wearing to rescue Han in. Yes. That was yep. that. Yeah, and I was like, hey. My irritating is wouldn't of of Chewie and Han remembered pretending to be prisoners before in the solo in the Star Wars movie when that they did that and Chewie was all upset and I don't know. I think he was like, not again. <laughs> but it I, wasn't their idea. I've been like, we've done this. <laughs> no, I, I think it was. I no, this movie was full of Easter eggs and yeah. so, that's Easter. so I found that Easter well, eggs are interesting and irritating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and let and let us not forget John Favreau. Uh, speaking of John Favreau, hey John uh, John Zura, you're up. <laughs> well, my fascinating is it's like it's fascinating to me because it's something that stick stuck with me. Uh, I've been lately watching the YouTube for the uh, the way the game graphics are improving with the Unreal Engine, etc. 
and how wow. realistic they're getting and the and the the people are starting to look so much realistic. I was really impressed by how L3 that the uh, the motion sensor stuff that they use okay. the, oh the mocap cap, right that when she was walking along with them and and moving around I went that is just I'm just totally buying that this is a robot that just walks that way and it just so it was really great. I I just was very impressed by it and it's enough so it stuck with me. Yeah, as they did they the, did give her an interesting inhuman gait. She did look like her legs were her hips were farther apart than a right. human beings and she walked like she had a uh, butt plug so uh, <laughs> i thought she just moved like a really hippie lady yeah yeah pretty much yeah i i thought she looked like a human yeah. okay it didn't i just seemed like she was very bow-legged her right. her gait but uh, it was the butt plug that's what it was there you go so as far as irritating for me this was a little bit too much of a creature feature thing I mean, they just tried too hard to have these different, so many different uh, creature things that just, I would, started with when Lady What's-Her-Face came out of the water, and I went, so it's going to be like this, eh? <laughs> 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 that, that was irritating for me. A little too much creature feature. Star Wars The Muppet Movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a great episode of The Muppet Show. That one was fun. Yes. Exactly. All right, Monsieur Clevenger. Uh, Fascinating. A few of the payoffs actually paid off. I liked the way, for instance, um, I liked the way that that they fixed Lucas's, oh, I didn't take physics. I was in the humanities department. Uh, Boner of of, uh, confusing parsecs, a unit of astronomical distance, with a measure of time. It was elaborate and required... They're basically the uh, maze in space with this sort of Lovecraftian minotaur in the middle of it. But it worked. Um, and the coaxium, which to me sounds like something you take to calm your nerves when the cable guy doesn't show up between 8 and 12. <laughs> uh, even though you have an appointment, uh, the coaxium justified its existence as something besides just a MacGuffin when they injected some into the engines like nitrous and it made the Falcon go faster than any ship ever. Fast enough to escape a black hole. It was stupid, but it was... A red hole. It was fun. Irritating. This movie has the same basic problem as the prequels. I didn't really want to see Anakin Skywalker before he became the coolest character in the original Star Wars movies, because that means sitting through a lot of boredom and whininess. And yes, (laughs) there was a lot of whininess in Star Wars supplied by Luke, but that was relieved by the cool supplied by Vader. Only Vader ain't in the prequels until the very end. This movie is misconceived along similar lines. And the problem is the same one I had been bitching about to Jeff ever since they announced the project, because this is a place to bitch. It's a safe, it's a safe, this is my safe place to bitch. Uh, Han has a great character arc in the original trilogy. Absolutely as strong as Luke's. We meet him when he's this desperate, scheming lowlife who has zero interest in anything besides his own welfare. And along the way, he becomes a reluctant, then uh, eventually a committed hero and winds up as one of the key figures in in the destruction of the Empire. So the irritating thing about this movie is it asks me to follow his arc from plucky kid with a head full of dreams to the desperate scheming lowlife we meet at the beginning of Star Wars, which is not an inspiring arc, but at least it's an arc. It's a downward arc, but it doesn't even deliver that. He's still but he's, he's a still a guy. guy. He's still plucky. He's still plucky, and he's a good guy. <laughs> and he does the right thing, and he doesn't. You know, he 
it was just, and also the the one thing that I really wanted and this is personal the one thing I really wanted I really would have excused as I said earlier them putting in the movie was how he gets the Millennium Falcon I didn't necessarily care how he met Chewbacca any of the other stuff that it's weird it was tacked onto the end so it almost felt like this feel this seems like a post credit sequence like they should have been rolling the credits before he goes to that you know elvis's jungle room to play, <laughs> play cards with lando one last time but you know but he did shoot first yes he did shoot first he did shoot yeah. first so uh, take that uh, george you've you, you're not in a position to retcon that so screw you right um i think john and mary have it right the arc of this film is not where he goes from scoundrel to good guy or good guy to scoundrel. It's the story of how he became a pessimist. Okay. Optimist to pessimist because she leaves and that's it. He gets his heart broken. Uh, yeah, true. I mean, it, he must have been utterly besotted by her and completely committed to have not only intended three years later to go back for her and to make a bunch of stupid decisions out of a desperate <laughs> desire to get back to her, but as Blanche mentioned, optimistic enough, uh, committed enough to the idea of their love that he thinks she'd be waiting for him and want him to even come back. Mm-hmm. And I will give them credit for one thing. Here's another thing I thought was fascinating. Uh, as much as it, it was, it was uh, on a mission to over-explain a bunch of stuff that happened later, they did know enough not to tell us too much in certain instances about new characters. Kira, she goes, oh, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't be looking at me that way. And I'm going, don't, please don't tell me what you did. Let me just imagine what you've done. And they did. Yeah. They left that. I mean, we may find out if she shows up in a subsequent film, which is seeming increasingly unlikely, thanks to the box office. Uh, we might find out what she did to survive during those three years. And what, what, why, how It'll she be wa- in a comic now. It'll be in a comic. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. How she wound up with that brand. But um, there, there were still some things that they just, they introduced for the sake of the story and then kept going because not, it, it's... It's not. It's a movie. It's not Wikipedia. We're not there for. Expo- <laughs> We're not there for explanation. Oh, We're there to be entertained. Well, there you have it, boys and girls, friends and lovers. Solo, the first pedestrian Star Wars film. <laughs> Take it as it is. It is what it is. It's okay as it is, but it could have been so much more if it should have been at all. And on that note. Thank you, Blanche. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mrs. C. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, listeners. This is Jeff, and we'll see you soon.